for episode 180 of Friends and Film, where you bring the latest movie news and review the biggest new release, which this week is Toy Story 4. As always, I'm your host, Coop Hood, once again joined by Josh Straley. Hello, everyone. Hello, Cooper. Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. That sounded hesitating. No, it's, just, it's good. <clears throat> this is now Josh figures out <laughs> oh, Cooper's well, deep feelings. This is intervention time. Are you feeling okay? Yeah. Really? Yep. Okay. I've just, you know, it's been a little rough recently. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, mm. watched Chernobyl. Ah. Four hours. It's Ooh, a lot. It's yes. tough. Episode four really, really hurt. Does watching this show make you fear your own mortality? Uh, I mean, there was like a, a brief moment where I was just like, hmm, they're talking a lot about how like the radiation's going to be around forever mm-hmm. and how like the rain's going to pour it down for the next several hundred years. Yes. So I was like, oh, am I just going to hit by like acid rain one day and die? No. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Probably well, not. <laughs> relatedly, I feared more, more, my own mortality twice this week. Did you? Yes. Did you read the article about spikes growing out of people's heads? No. Yes. It's crazy, but basically it boils down to for some reason, people are growing spikes out of the back of their heads, like horns. No one knows why. They think maybe technology, but they're not sure. What? And so I read this, and I'm like, all of a sudden, my posture starts getting better. I'm starting like, <laughs> I'm not going to bend my neck anymore. No more cell phone. Readjust and the chair and the mic stand real quick. Just threw it all away. And I, I had to go outside, walked around. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Started feeling my head for a horn. No horn. <laughs> I'm good. Is this like a mass thing or like two people have had this 33% of people in a study in Australia. Uh, How big, how large of a study pool? Like are we talking six people? So there's two. I don't remember. I will just make sure I'll just re up that on Twitter on my own. account. How about that? That sounds great. But you know, sometimes we re up stories on Twitter, the friends in film account, and you can follow that and find information and stories and things that we are watching on there at Friends in Films. But now, we do movie reviews. You knew that. I knew that. I'm just getting around to it. And you can find those on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and even a new one, Podcoin, where you can get rewards for doing what you do. Listen to podcasts. So follow us on there. Enter the code friends at sign or and sign film and you'll get like 200 free coins. 300 free coins, 300 even better. 300 free coins. And, you know, get some Amazon stuff. Get some other stuff that's some on there. Some Starbucks stuff. There it is. Donate your coins to charity. Mm-hmm. But, Maybe to help out those horned people. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> they need it. Uh, but if you can, please jump over to Apple Podcasts, though, and rate and review us. That'll ultimately help rank us, and then we can find more friends of the show. That's right. Now, before we get into our review this week, which mm-hmm. is Toy Story 4, the latest movie from Pixar, uh, we've each watched other things this week. We have. What is something that you need to let people know about? Well, I want to let everyone know about a couple things. Okay. First of all, did the Toy Story rewatch. Of course. But, um, and so, you know, but I also spent time on another sequel to a classic child's toy episodic series. Child's Play. Oh, okay. It's awful. The new one? Terrible. Oh. Terrible. Brian Tyree Henry. He's there. Go see him, maybe. Aubrey Plaza? Nothing? Nothing. Oh. Anyway, moving forward, I have a spiel about The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, boy. Because I watched it this week. Again. Again. You've seen it before. I've seen it before. Of course. It's not a good movie. 
like at all. Like there's, it has this, it's like basically just a rhythm and pace of a, of an action film that feels like Nolan. It looks like Nolan, but there is nothing to it or in it. It's like haphazardly edited. And it's just, I think it may be one of Nolan's worst movies. Is it his worst movie? I think it's his worst movie. Wow. That bad. I'm not impressed. And I just recently watched the dark Knight the day before and it's beautiful. And when you say his worst movie, how does that stack up in like the broad scheme of things? I would give it like three ticket stubs. Okay. You know, but it's, It's, so it's, it's it's fine. It's it's, fine, but it just drops. It's just all over the place. hmm. Nothing specific about it. You are definitely not the only person that feels that way. I don't feel that way. Okay. That it is a terrible movie or borderline terrible. Okay. Movie. It's just like, it's fine. It's, it still beats any new, any of like the Zack Snyder DC movies. Okay. Of course. And like a lot of the mid tier Marvel movies, but I'm just not impressed grading in and on a scale of Dark Knight to Dark Knight Rises. There's a reason those movies were released so far away from each other. <laughs> Tell you what. Four years? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched Dark Knight Rises in several years. Again. And, uh, but I really like that movie. I really like Anne Hathaway. I really like yes. Tom Hardy's Bane. Mm-hmm. Bale's great as usual. Right. Um, it's a who's who of like people you're like, hey, they're famous now. Right. Oh, Ben Mendelsohn's here. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I feel like there's somebody else. I mean, there's obviously a lot of people, but it's just like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in there. Like, right. there, there's a, there's a really great cast. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I maybe I need to go rewatch it and uh, see if it still holds up for me or not. Yeah, just pay attention. The editing is the worst part. Okay, I I know the one thing that always bugs me is the ending bomb part because it's like 15 minutes, 45 minutes later, <laughs> <laughs> we're 10 seconds to go. I'm like, eh. yeah. Nolan, you lost track of time. Right, yeah. But there's a good, there's, there's an aiding Gillian who's not acting terribly in there. And then there's uh, Bern Gorman who's playing like the, the you know, the stockbroker or whatever the case is. And Also. Glenn Powell. Th- yeah. The stockbroker. My boy Glenn Powell's in right. there. So uh, <laughs> that, was, that was before I knew who Glenn it, Powell was. It leads up, it leads to a class, I know we're running along here, but it leads to a classic Bane line. He's like, Glenn Powell's like, there's no money here. And he's like, really? Then why are you people here? And then just smashes his face into the uh, uh, the desk, French collar and all. Beautiful. It was an excellent Bane impression. Mm-hmm. Really? Thank you. I don't know. Uh, it, was, it was fine. <laughs> Tom Hardy and his voices. It, 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 he is one of a kind, that's for sure. Um, How about you, my friend? I will stick with a Christian Bale movie, uh, one that I've never seen before until yesterday. Equilibrium. Really? Yeah, I never saw. I've never seen it. It's on Netflix that's right in, now. That's in the Sean Bean canon of death movies. That's what I. That's what I was like. <laughs> oh, I wonder if this movie had started it, or if this was before that trend started. And I was like, nope. Sure enough, this this movie is definitely part of that mm-hmm. part of that train because yep, he's he's a goner. Uh, like ten minutes in, and but uh, I was really really struck at the the timing of this movie coming out in two thousand and two, mm-hmm. and the Matrix coming out three years before this because I was like, they are going for. This is a new Matrix really hard. Yeah. The aesthetic, Christian Bale's look, uh, the whole, even the action is choreographed in a very Matrix wannabe style. For sure. Uh, I still think it's, it's, for the most part, pretty well done. I don't understand the mechanics of their gun action. <sighs> they're, they're posing. It don't doesn't make either. any sense to me. They tried no. to explain it. Um, and then I think Bale's, like his character's emotional journey which is not supposed to have any emotion mm-hmm. it like the inciting moment i'm not really sure what's there 
and then like the fallout of it is it's like okay i'm not i'm kind of having to struggle connecting to this character um but it was very interesting there's like this very obvious like nazi parallel to you know back in you know the 1940s and stuff but uh it's uh it was interesting I'll say that for the most part, I'm still kind of working through my feelings on it, <laughs> as you may be able to tell as I'm talking about it. But it's it's, my, uh, it's on Netflix. It's, so it's check like, it out. It, it's interesting for sure. It'll be like a sci-fi cult classic right. or something. But my favorite thing about it is it made five million dollars at the box office. Nah, total. Yeah, total. That's what? that's worldwide too. I mean, it was before Bale was Batman. It was before like Bale still, was the man. That's crazy. Yeah, no kidding. But it had like Sean Bean. You would have think like Curious Lord of the Rings fan would have showed up, right? To it. <laughs> On a budget of twenty million, reportedly. Yikes! Yeah, I, well, that explains why that that director has only done one of the movies since then, <laughs> and that one had, apparently is not very good from what I read about it's it. It's because it's because the the man's trying to keep him down. I guess he's, so. He's taking the red pill, Cooper. But to be fair, I think that same director has gone on to write like the Total Recall reboot, a bunch of other like reboots. I'm like, okay, <laughs> no offense to that guy, but like you're just trying to go off of what other people have done so we're seeing it something so, for sure uh you know it's it's more of like a oh maybe this could be like redone this is like that's one of those movies that is primed for a remake that people will be like huh why but like i feel like there's a really great concept in that movie that you could redo and update and make it a lot better probably a lot more successful mm-hmm. than equilibrium was but let's move on mm-hmm. From christian bale to pixar he's not in this movie no. but matrix star keanu reeves does have a role in Toy Story 4 as Duke Kaboom, one of uh, the standout characters for a lot of people. And uh, as I get into my review of it, which you can find a full written review on friendsoffilm.wordpress.com, I will say that Keanu Reeves is really good in this movie as Duke Kaboom. He's hilarious. He's not the best part of the movie. I think as a lot of people kind of said he was. Um, the best part of it for me was Woody, basically because this is a... I mean, the whole series has been a Woody series for the most part, but like this one is very focused on him uh the one you know kind of flaw i have with it is like because of the attention given to woody and forky and their own journey characters like buds and jesse and rex and ham and all the other you know original classic characters i kind of just pushed off to the side left left in the dust and i was kind of bummed about that in the moment but then the movie just keeps going and i kept falling in love with this new version of bo peep who was amazing uh woody was incredible again and tom hanks you know just keeps on nailing this character. Um, uh, uh, Gimple McDimples or something. Uh, Giggle McDimples, I think is her name. Yes. Uh, voiced by Ali Mackie. Uh, she was really funny. Um, and then Ducky and Bunny, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele are great new additions as well. Um, and then there's the the villain of the film, Gabby Gabby, voiced by Christina Hendricks. And I thought all of them were just so good and refreshing additions to this uh, world that as much as I did in the back of my mind kind of miss, you know, not having Jesse and I mean, buzz is part of the journey for a decent amount of it near the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, I missed those characters, but at the same time I was like, I had a really good journey with them for the first three and now I'm getting introduced to these brand new characters. I'm not really sure where they'd even factor into this story at hand. So I'm kind of forgiving of that point, even though I selfishly would like to see more of them. Um, But I think that Gabby Gabby specifically is probably the standout new character for me. Um, Even more so than Forky voiced by Tony Hale, who's great, super Mm -hmm. funny. Um, I think that just Gabby Gabby is probably one of the, if not, she, she may be the best villain of this franchise, which is saying something because uh, the Toy Story franchise has had incredible villains in the last three films. But this is the one uh, for reasons I won't get into that. Just she, her story and what she wants is probably the best. And 
uh, the, the best of the bunch. Um, so really, the animation off the charts, incredible. Uh, I mean, what Pixar is doing here with the detail of the characters, the rain, everything. Uh, the movie is super emotional. It starts off that way. It ends that way. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I was not crying at the end. Um, it was just everything I think that I needed to see, even though I didn't know I needed to see this because I was very hesitant about this movie to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a franchise that's very important to me, as I mentioned in our Thanksgiving episode uh, last year. And uh, I think when you can nail these characters the way that this movie does, directed by Josh Cooley, first-time director who does a fantastic job with this uh, movie, if you can nail these characters, nail the emotional beats as well as this movie does, uh, there's no other way to do this than to give this a five-ticket stub rating. Yeah. That's a great point. That's really great, man. Um, And I think I'm going to kind of, like, agree with you on, like, a lot of things. Like, Toy Story 4 was kind of an eye roll when the logo got put out there or whatever the announcement was. I don't know if it came out in terms of we're doing another Toy Story and Incredible. It was Cars 3, Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4. Yep. That was the that was the series. That was a succession. We're like, yeah. Really? Right. You know, the Tim we, Allen, huh? We just and, had Toy Story 3. Exactly. <laughs> it was great. We loved it in 2011. 2010. 2010. So nine years later, which is definitely a good amount of time, um... Toy Story had to like justify its existence for, you know, the reason for continuing on. Why are you going to take that perfect ending and keep running with it? Like the goodwill we gave it like seemed to be sucked away. And the marketing for this movie and the run up to it, I, I was pretty clear. I think I was just not excited mm-hmm. for it in the slightest. Um, it looked bad. I thought they were protecting a bad movie, but it was just lazy because they knew that they, you know, <laughs> they they were going to crush it, and they did. Um, it, it it like it jumps onto like you know themes of like purpose and existence and like empty nesters and parenthood and like and all of these things are what Woody's working through himself. But then in addition to that, there's this beautiful plot that's just like reflective of the first film um carrying out with bonnie and the importance of toys and that's there too and it shows up it all over the movie in one particular powerful moment at the end where you if you're not just upset in your seat and crying along you know as as it unfolds um dealing with like a lost kid you're you're just like oh Oh. uh, incredibly incredibly beautiful um there's also maybe um, maybe a storyline about having a second wife, you know, like if you're not feeling guiltless about moving on. Um, I think that's in relationship to Woody. Uh, but either or, um, it's perfect. It's a perfect movie. Uh, it, it's not so much though, like a story arc or, you know, like a chapter in Toy Story as much as it is an epilogue for everything they've done. Um, or, you know, the beginning of the new chapter or right. whatever else they do. Who cares? Um, so it just kind of floats through, but you are laughing the entire way. The old, the old characters being gone or being absent for most of the movie didn't really bug me as much because Tony Hale's Forky is so powerful. The return of Bo Peep is so great. Um, Duke Kaboom comes in at the right moment to like, you know, blast us in there. Ducky and Bunny, Kay and Peel, I mean, are probably just our their, their their energy is barely being contained by this movie because it's so kinetic and so much fun. There's a moment where they just pause the film and they're said say do a K and Peel sketch for us. Right. And they do it and it's it's amazing. They do that uh I guess well, I guess one, is the other one at the two, in the credits? They do three and then there's one in the credits at yeah. the end. Yeah. The one it, in the credits is my favorite one. Exactly. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> just this imaginary yeah this imaginary destruction of the entire <laughs> carnival um and then but then it just it just goes through all of these you know like all of this is, is all of this humor um tim allen's buzz lightyear is funnier than ever and like you said he's relegated to the sideline but also like we learned some deep things about yeah, buzz i his, really like his, his, his inner monologue <laughs> Um, but then, like you said, Ali, Ali Mackey's Giggle McDimples, who's like best friends with um, uh, Bo Peep. Uh, it just, it's perfect. Annie Potts' return, it was long awaited and hilarious. We learned about her sheep. And then it just, it just all comes together and is terrific. Um, although, I will say though, the, the climax and the feeling of deep peril isn't there this time around for the first mm-hmm. time because it's much more of a sympathetic view that they kind of run with near the end. And I think that kind of lessens the reason for the existence. It's not so much a chapter as it is a, here's a final point. Like I said, like a final paragraph at the end to conclude everything that we've learned across all of these toy story films. And I think it adds all of those in really well. And so with all that said though, is it's like a Uh 4.5. It's just because it didn't quite say, like, you know, emphatically, this is something powerful and important. It's just more of like a uh, a corollary to everything we learned across the three Toy Stories. It's like, and so all that said, though, go see it because I think it's my favorite. It's your favorite of the franchise? I think so. Whoa. Wait, so that means you wouldn't give any of them a five? Uh, I probably would give the first one a five. It's much more edgy. I like it, it, it yeah i think <laughs> but it's not as funny as this consistently throughout that's that is definitely true it if uh, the thing that um i guess we'll move into spoiler slash retrospective whatever territory mm-hmm. here for toy story 4 in the franchise because uh, i also did the toy story rewatch yes leading up to this and the thing that struck me the most about the first one again is just like the speed of it 83 minutes i think is the runtime with credits so it's like the movie just flies by so quickly it's so good um at handling that pace and i think after the rewatch Toy Story was my favorite. I think I would have previously said Toy Story 3 was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm not I, – I don't know what my ranking is. Because sure. like, Toy Story 4 is either 2 or 3, but I'm not sure if it – because it's, it's so strange because I would have said Toy Story 3 was like the perfect ending. But uh-huh. now this ending that we get here, I'm like, this is more perfect? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> right. Because it's it just like it is so much more, I think, satisfying to see like Woody – like have to like learn like what he really wants in mm-hmm. life and like learn that he can do something besides just be there for a kid. He can go be there for a lot of kids or be there for other toys and like do this like other thing. And I thought just him going on that journey, like metaphorically jumping in that box with Bo and then having to say goodbye to his friends was just so much more powerful than um, Andy. Like, I mean, it was, it was, that's a, that's a powerful moment. Andy's, you know, sending them all off to, Bonnie and like his monologue, his ending speech about you know how great of a toy Woody is and the mm-hmm. pal and all that stuff. Um, but seeing Woody and Buzz have to like say goodbye to each other and to infinity and beyond, uh, that was that is what really got me. Him handing off his sheriff badge to Jesse. Uh, there's just a lot of really great moments in there for those characters um, beyond you know the Andy Woody bond, which was always strong. But like I'm all I've always been more invested in the the Woody buzz, the other toy dynamics more than Woody and Andy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, that's the thing about, um, like th- that's the thing about three that like, you're like, Oh, that's perfect. Like I'm growing up and time to go and you make it about you. Yeah. But then you realize, but these, 
this movie's been about these characters. Yeah. And so they, and that's the, maybe the, the one dig against Toy Story 3 is that it, yeah. it gets too um, grand with its ideas. I mean, maybe, maybe not. It, it's, it's saying goodbye to Andy, mm-hmm. who is supposed to be us. And that's it. And, but then it's like, oh, well, we can actually do one about these characters and let us be them. Yeah. And, or feel them mm-hmm. and then go with it. And that's like, th- that's why I think I, yeah, I like that. And I think even like, just think, just like watching the mo- those first three movies again and watching the fourth one now, like, I feel like we get to learn a lot more about Bonnie and her attaching to these characters than like we really ever did about Andy. Like, I mean, yes, like, oh, he was distraught when like he thought they were gone or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, we rarely see things from Andy's perspective in those first three movies. Yes. But this time we're seeing like kindergarten through Bonnie's perspective. Um, a lot of playtime through her perspective, like how, a, lo- how, a lot of different things. How that opening that the opening of this film, not the opening after the prologue of this movie, the, the opening is basically Bonnie's first day of kindergarten. Oh my gosh. And it is awful. It is. You just, you are distraught in your seat as you watch her step into that, you know, big new world. Mm-hmm. And the only thing there is, <laughs> there's nothing there. There's actually. nothing. And then, like that moment where she's all on her table, like she's already sad mm-hmm. and she's like starting to do like arts and crafts time. And then a kid walks over and she's like, oh, hi. Like you're like, oh, she's going to make a friend. And then he just takes all of her stuff. Yes. I was like, oh, no, Bobby. Right. <laughs> and that's what Woody's feeling. So mm-hmm. like you're really connecting a lot more with Woody this movie around this time around and like uh it was just so so you were get you get smacked with a Mack truck at that moment but even like if we go back before this like the the two scenes leading into the kindergarten scene were already super emotional because like the rescue scene for RC I was like oh Oh, that's right oh my oh my gosh this is like high stakes super sad Mm -hmm. um like you like even though that it did have one of my early like I don't know where this movie is going questions where like when Woody did for a moment consider jumping in the box with Bo and leaving Andy and everybody behind. I was like, this is after Toy Story 2. He's still very much, you know, Andy's guy. And I, I that was the one like character moment. Where I'm like, I don't know if that really lines up with Woody's overall arc for what we've seen so far. But then by the end of the movie, I was like, okay, I'm willing to forgive that possible lapse in like character, um, uh, stability or uh, not no, stability. No, yeah, no, uh, like right. It seems like a deviation from right. what was a clear arc. It, I'm willing to forgive that if you deliver as emotional as a ending as we did. So I was like, okay, if you were, you know, going uh, against the grain for that moment to set up this conclusion, then I'm fine with mm-hmm. it. Like if they wouldn't have done it that way, I'd been like, that's that didn't feel consistent with his character arc. Yeah, but because they did do that, I was like, I was okay with that and that whole opening scene worked really well and then we f- jump to playtime with Bonnie and like see Woody not get picked mm-hmm. and like him having to deal with that you know crisis of oh you, you know it's been two weeks or whatever since you've been picked and like he gets his badge taken away I was like man this is just tough yeah absolutely you know like do, what do you do when you're not needed or wanted anymore and he, even he's like it, when they're all trapped in the closet for for cleaning um, and waiting for Bonnie to come and get them he's like the one trying to you know give orders but mm-hmm. Dolly's like Woody, I got this. Yeah, right. Like, you're not in charge anymore. And I was like, dang, that is 
Like that is like you're really like mm-hmm. trying Woody. Yeah, and it gets underscored by the t- by when Bonnie plucks the badge from him mm-hmm. and sticks it on Jesse, and then they start running with it, and then it just everything about the plot, you know, moves forward until like until Tony Hale's Forky comes in and is just perfect on so many levels. First of all, his his desperate desire to rejoin and become one with the trash <laughs> by just constantly going trash? Trash. Like the first the first five minutes is just him saying trash mm-hmm. and trying to jump back in constantly out of Bonnie's scraps. And so Woody takes it upon him to like that's his new purpose. And I love that. Like it's just like that's Woody and it it's why um, they push, let us rehear what Andy says about how he's never going to abandon you at the first part of that. Um, but then as long as you want him or what, I don't know what the case is there, but then he's just like, well, okay, well, Bonnie's like, I could be gone and Bonnie's not going to miss me. But like Forky's the new, you know, important thing. And yep. so how he carries that on. And it's just like him looking for purpose somewhere elsewhere. And as that goes through, but um, Tony Hale's Forky, I think is the best new character. I, I really, I, I appreciate people's efforts with Duke Kaboom, but I'm, Forky just is so, I don't know if it's the innocence or the <laughs> night or just his total naivety about everything that's going on around him. So there's also like a, like a cynicism to him. Like he's like, I, I was, I wasn't made to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's a dark, there's a dark, um, oh, I'm trying to think of a philosopher. I don't know. But like, you know, like you just like about what it means to be alive or whatever. And he's just like, I don't want to say Freudian. That's not right. That's psychology. Um, I think therefore I am guy. Who's he? Uh, I don't know. Descartes. Okay, yeah, but there's just like that, that whole thing to him. Yeah, there's there's like very clear purpose until he gets explained that he's Bonnie's trash. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, we have to go to Bonnie now. Yeah. Come on, Woody. And then it just flips, uh, like the switch flips for him. I love I love that whole sequence because like before then you can tell like Woody is more like, I have to do this because like he says, if I don't do this, I get Forky back. Like I don't have anything else to do. Like this is my mm-hmm. purpose now. Right. And then he's just like latching onto Bonnie through Forky. Um, but I love like their conversation of like, him opening up to Forky and then telling right. Forky how to be a toy, uh, explain all the Andy stuff to him. Like, and, and then running through so basically good. the last three films. He's like, right. Buzz thought he was a real space ranger? Yeah. What? What an idiot. <laughs> right. It was just like the perfect. Um, yeah. He's like, was, I know, right? Yeah. He was like, there, there was a kinship there. And it's yeah. like, and it's sort of like, and it kind of helps Woody go, oh, Forky's like me. He gets it. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, so he's cool with, you know, him um, taking over or whatever the mm-hmm. case is. There's a, there's a baton handing there. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, for Forky is, uh, he's, he's just so good. He's, he's so good. But, and like, they're doing a Disney plus miniseries with him of like questions about life with Forky. Mm-hmm. And so like to see him who was already having this massive existential crisis of like, what does it mean to be a toy? Yeah. What does it mean to be alive? Mm-hmm. <laughs> him tackling, a variety of other questions like that that's gonna be uh that's gonna be really good yeah and tony hale's the perfect the perfect um you know carrier for that story i I just can't wait to have more of him now i i will say as i mentioned before my my favorite new addition is um gabby gabby uh even though she's the villain of the of the film Mm -hmm. she has the most understandable motives of anybody of any of the villains in the past um and like Christina Hendricks does a great job voicing the character and having this like innocent charm, like old, like old timey feel to her character. Yeah. Um, but yep. then also like having that, like, like underlying menace of the whole thing of like, you're not going to leave. Like, it's like, Oh, like, okay. Yeah. There's something very godfathery about like yes. when we meet her, like they toss them into her carriage and they're just like strolling around right. <laughs> and you're like, 
oh, this feels like a mob movie right here. And then the other (laughs) ventriloquist dummies pop on the sides and they're like, what is happening? (laughs) And I I, like, you understand like why instead of like being like, um, uh, like, uh, why can't I think of his name? Lotso. Yeah. I was going to say Huggle something. Uh, Lotso hugs bear. Yeah. Something. Uh, but like, it's not like lots of people like, no, no toys can feel love because I wasn't loved. Or um, uh, I'm blanking on everybody's name now. The old miner guy uh, <laughs> from Toy Story 2 is being like. The prospector. Yes. Like, you have to be stuck with me because that com- that is what I want. Like, just like doing all these things. Like, she's like, I just want a, a voice box so I can have a chance to be somebody's toy. Mm-hmm. And you're like. I mean, that makes sense to me. Like, I, under- I understand that. And then turning her, instead of just, like, going full on, of like, oh, well, she gets the voice box, and now there's something else about her that, like, she's she actually is evil. Like, she gets her chance to be that little girl's toy. And she's just like, yeah, she, grandma, her grandma says, oh, you can take it home with you. And she's like, no, nah, it's okay. And just throws her mm-hmm. into the bin. I was like, oh, no. Like, that's so sad yeah. for Gabby Gabby. And then going forward when she joins them and then like gets to be that toy for that missing girl. Like I was like, man, like just her, her whole arc is the best villain antagonist, whatever you want to call her uh, thing that Pixar has maybe ever done. I can definitely say in this franchise for sure. Um, But she is one of the best villains, quote unquote, that Pixar's done. Mm -hmm. Gabby is like, she's just looking for love the entire, her, her entire story. Like she's evil up until she gets that chance with um, Harmony. Yeah. You know, like, you know, and, and uh, you you kind of sympathizing with her as Forky tries to brush her hair with the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're like, oh, okay, I, I get it. She's That's really sweet that she wants to be with Harmony. Like, but what, what madness will she descend to? Right. And, but like Woody gets the voice box and yanked out and sewn back up. And then you're like, oh, okay. So things are cool. Right. Like instead of like when she's rejected, be like, all right. Now I'm going to like make sure like no toys can ever be loved. And right. she's just like, there's no burn to the ground. Right. She's, she's just like, okay, what do you can take back your voice box? Like she's so depressed. And he's just like, no, like we're going to, there are billions of kids out there. Mm-hmm. One of them is for you. Yeah. And we will get you to that kid. And it's, and it's, you know, like leave no toy behind us leave no toy behind nope. mentality. And it's just, this is really Woody's story the entire way through. Um, but it's, it's perfect. Yeah. In the way it just it literally rounds up all of these parts of him, uh, all, all of the good parts of him mm-hmm. and, you know, sets him forth, you know, and yeah, Gabby's perfect. Like you said, that missing child moment where she finds, she gets loved and that was crazy powerful. Yeah. And just like, I was just distraught for the kid and then, and then she jumps out there and then like the ducky and bunny roll the <laughs> ball and like, like fist bumping it. Perfect. All the way through. It's so good. Um, I'm trying to, there's anything else I'll need to touch on about Toy Story 4. There, I mean, the, the, I want to talk about the K and Peel. We're not doing that sketch. Okay. That is, it's two minutes, maybe two whole minutes yeah. of this movie that I just could not believe started. Uh, and where they're trying to plan to get the key. And then all of a sudden, a Key and Peel sketch breaks out. Ducky and Bunny start riffing on each other. They're like, okay, what, what would we do this? And then, like, I was just like, I just saw it so clearly in my head of these two. I don't know if improving it or whatever the case is. But then they just lay out these terrible plans of they always end with them like killing the old lady or like beating her up right. in some way. Except the last one they do, they, they take a long way to get to the solution. I think they cut it off before. 
the final thing happens. So it's a yes. little unclear. Like, are it's, they were they going to kill her? Or were they going to do something right. else to her? It, it takes extraordinary long. Buzz interrupts. He's like, "Where is this going?" And they like, follow, just hold on. They follow her back to her house. She gets in the bath. She eats dinner. She gets into bed, and then they rise up like you know, um, like paranormal activity before right. they like haunt her. And then all of a sudden, the key gets dropped in front of them, and it was just yeah. like perfect. I, I, I love that the, the payoff of seeing how how are we going to do this? We're getting all that, and then we cut to them having the key. Like, oh, how did how'd you guys do it? Look. Uh, and then we cut back and see the key right. drop. They're like, it was, it was super tough. Barely made so, it out. Yeah, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> it's like we just don't see that sort of like a storytelling thing in Pixar movies, like mm-hmm. that, that the the quick side gag where it's completely irrelevant. But like this is this is what we're doing. We're letting the key, like key and peels dynamic just shine through here. I guess it's like that's why you get these guys mm-hmm. for that moment alone, yeah. and it totally worked. Um, I think the only other thing to talk about is you know we all said we didn't need toy story 4 and this move proved us wrong do we want to see more or are we satisfied with this is the end now i don't you know we'll have to see what they come up with i guess you know honestly i'm i'm learning my lesson to not reject a toy story movie at front hand Mm -hmm. because as soon as this movie started and the 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 roundup song started playing at the opening credits i was like Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was basically gonna say great things about this right. <laughs> even after the film. Um, but like five, I don't know where they go. I know they don't have current plans for mm-hmm. one yet, but that just means no one's no one's been hired out, to do set, one. Yeah. No one's been hired to do it or said it out loud or contracts are finalized or something. Exactly. Yeah. And so, who knows? Um, but they left it in a place where, oh, of course, they're gonna do to another five, a five and a six because Woody's got a whole new gang and they don't need to worry about, you know, the, the, the new cast. So is that, so that's the old cast that, uh, that, that is that where you'd want them to focus on continue Woody's story or would mm-hmm. you rather like, and now we're focusing back on like Bonnie and here's buzz and Jesse and Dolly and like all these other characters like Trixie, like they're now the main characters here and we're learning about, childhood again through new toy through old toys that we know but through new kid new experiences yeah see i think you would do what you would pick up with woody on the road with monty and with duke kaboom because that cast is just much more well number one younger mm-hmm. but also um you don't have to worry about people who have passed away like mr potato head yeah. and ham i believe ham no or um, uh, no i think i think mr potato is the only one don rickles passed yeah, away but i believe a tribute to him at the end um, Slinky. Uh, I, I there's a couple other characters that have. Um, I thought he was still around, away, but Blake Clark is the guy who voices Slinky. Okay, and I'm just double checking to see if he is. I thought I think he's still alive. I don't know how else they would have. Yeah, I, I don't see anything that says he is. Got it. Okay, gone. Yeah. Um. So like, th- there are those problems, I guess, mm-hmm. to come with it. So right. I mean, hopefully, Keanu Reeves and. Key, Key and Peel and Ali Mackey and all these other people are they're, around for a long haul. They're only going to get more famous. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, I think that's definitely the... And, and it just presents a brand new like storytelling opportunity of like, now here are toys helping other toys find owners or I'd even love to see a prequel movie in a sense where it's like just... Or like a Disney Plus series devoted entirely to Bo Peep and her gang. Yeah. Because like, oh, mm-hmm. I have to mention this. I almost forgot. My favorite gag, hands down, is the high five with Commander Carl 
uh, oh. voiced by Carl Weathers. <laughs> uh, that was just so funny mm-hmm. that the white that the guy with the white suit always wants a high five. And yes, doesn't get one the whole movie, and then at the very very end, Duke Kaboom rides out, mm-hmm. replaces the lamp over the Pixar logo. Yes, and gives carl a high five i was like this is genius it's so good and but like that i would love to see like that group of characters like it see it sounds like they're just hopping from like playground to playground or like birthday party to birthday party mm-hmm. just to like be played with right so like what is that like that they're is a nomadic. whole new life uh they're riding around in a in a um uh, I was going to say squirrel. That's definitely not right. A, RC, a retrofitted RC car disguised as a skunk. Yes. Uh, like, the, like I feel like there's just a lot of really interesting material to go with that, especially if they did do a Toy Story 5 with like, and here's them on the road. I could totally see a Disney Plus limited series. Mm-hmm. Eight, six to eight episodes, 30 minutes long, and here's just a bunch of different, you know, here's one, you know, summer full of adventures f- with that gang. Yeah. Like, that would be, I would eat up that series right there and yeah i mean if toy story 5 comes yeah i mean I, I, right now i'm like okay this is a great ending i don't need to see more but then you know toy story 5 comes along in another 10 years when i'm you know in my 30s right. and <laughs> at a completely different place in life and now they challenge me with something else entirely and i'm like well now i'm crying again yeah you did it again it's it's tom hanks just being as like woody woody has become the Tom Kane, Tom Hanks, like a digital avatar mm-hmm. for him just to be himself and how we see him. And like, that's his place for him. And, and at the end of the day, who's going to say no to that? Right. You know, as long as is Woody, uh, man, just so good. I think the only, I mean, and we'll talk about this briefly in the news later on, but like, it seems like right now, Pixar slate is focused on new IP, which I'm very happy about. Yes. Um, but you know, again, five, seven, eight years from now, Toy Story 5 in development news comes out, I won't be surprised. Me neither. As long as all these people are still around, um, I, I think that'll probably happen at some point. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say Pixar or Toy Story goes with Tom Hanks. Yeah, because like, it, it's, a, it's a much tougher sell. It'd be like, all right, here's Toy Story 5, but without Woody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, uh, what? Yeah. Okay, I mean, sure, like, Buzz's inner monologue was a funny part of the movie. Like, do I need a whole movie by him learning now how to be a leader or how to balance being a leader with Jesse or like whatever? Right. Like, probably not. You'd have to really alter, dramatically alter the character of that's been Buzz because that was something I was worried about really quickly here. Mm-hmm. Buzz, I thought you to think was like really competent. Uh huh. But in the first one, he's not that competent. Yeah. The second one, he's he seems really deft at what he's doing, but then in here he's really gone more like dumbed down yeah really dumbed down actually maybe that's part of the reset that happened in three i don't know yeah possibly i'm not but i'm not quite sure about that whole part but that was kind of like huh interesting that like they just really decided to go with gags all over with buzz rather than anything else so yeah Granted, he's never been deeply insightful. He's no, just sort of been like never. a catalyst for things. Yeah. So uh, I think this is an easy answer. Will Josh watch it again? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, Toy Story 4 is going to go down uh, great. And again, I think as of right now, I'd probably say it's my second favorite of the franchise. Um, where it ranks in the Pixar pantheon, I don't. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, they have I a lot of great movies. It's top 10 for sure. But I'm not like, ready to rank. I'm not ready to rank. Beyond, beyond saying the general, oh, yeah, definitely it's top 10. Like. Mm-hmm. I don't know where else I'd put it. Um, so I think that's all we have for Toy Story 4. I give five ticket stubs out of five. Josh gives it four and a half ticket stubs out of five. 
Let us know what you thought by joining us on Twitter at Feds of Film. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. Just remember what your past is, or you got a friend in me. And are back with yeah, the news, and as I start with our three main topics this week, kicking off with a possible update on the Matrix franchise, which may be coming back, according to Discussing Film, as they say that the Wachowskis are going to direct a new Matrix movie starring Michael B. Jordan, and the plan is for production to begin next year. So this is a project that looks to be moving semi-quickly um, and is probably maybe why earlier this year, Chad Scalise's like, oh yeah, they're making a new one, and then he had to like, backtrack on his heart. like, no, uh, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, he probably <laughs> did know, and he mm-hmm. just wasn't supposed to say it at the time. So it looks like, as of right now, a new Matrix movie is on the way. Josh? Is this a good idea? It's a good idea. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Why not throw out a new Matrix film? You know, like, I don't have any. I don't have any qualms against that. The last two were trash, and so. so and you just watched the third one and again. I just watched the third one. No, for the first time. Not oh, again. you've never. Oh, okay. Interesting. And, yes, <laughs> and so, okay. You know, I am just not at all worried about the sanctity of the matrix movies you know um whatever the wachowskis cook up okay go for it but maybe don't let them direct see i i that's where i think we need to go i understand yeah i mean i understand that for sure uh i mean i if we're getting a matrix movie i think even when we talked about the possibility of one happening or if it should happen, and I think we did a big question about yes. if a franchise should be revived, Matrix is one of them. Um, I believe I mentioned like it should happen and that the Wachowskis need to be involved in some form. Um, I'm a little surprised, kind of like you, that like they're actually going to be directing it because they haven't directed a movie in quite some time. And their last several, including the last couple of Matrix movies, have not been that well-received and um, more divisive. But... They're also the archetypes of this world. If they have some idea of how to do this new uh, installment, then like, I don't think anybody else is going to make a Matrix movie besides the Wachowskis, realistically. So, uh, and so, again, since they haven't done a movie in a while, like maybe they've taken time off, s- can scale it back a little bit, and uh, I'm just very interested to see what they'll do now mm-hmm. with like a, a much larger voice. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, like, now we did get reports a while ago. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a year ago, two years uh, ago, maybe. I haven't it's checked. Probably this closer late. two years ago. But there was a, there was an idea, an inkling out there that Michael B. Jordan would be heading up a Matrix restart, a mm-hmm. revival, if you will. And now, I'm thinking if he's, if this is that same thing, or if that's just Warner Brothers being like. Well, we didn't put him in. He's not the new Batman or the new Superman, but he's going to get the Matrix films because he's just kicking butt with the Creed films. Yeah. Because those are at Warner Brother. They are, yes. Yes, because there's that whole studio lot image before all of them. And it, yes. It's in, it's in front of the Batman movies, and so I'm assuming they're all <laughs> underneath the same banner there. Um, 
And so I would be okay with that because Michael B. Jordan always needs a new vehicle to show off on. And the Matrix movies would be perfect for that. Although, who's to say why or what for? Yeah, I'm just Googling real quick just to double check to see if it is Warner Brothers. And no MGM is involved. I know that for sure. Got it. But, yes, it was Warner Brothers is involved internationally where they distribute it. But the at, domestically it was Mirror releasing. I've never even heard of Mirror releasing. Or don't recall them as like a major thing. New Line was involved. So, uh, yeah, it, it is definitely a Warner Brothers property. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that they'll try to keep Michael B. Jordan in-house, especially now that he's already kind of done a superhero gig like and maybe they don't want to do that again mm-hmm. um have him go be part of dc in some form but they can give him a new franchise it makes sense um i think those same early reports of that he could be playing a young morpheus uh in this movie that it would be a prequel uh, and again it just comes down to what is the story to tell there are we getting the same sort of thing where like maybe morpheus thought he was the chosen one back when he was younger he was told that are we just getting his awakened story where he you know figures out that the matrix is a thing i don't know but again it's if we're getting the one i'm more excited that it's from the wachowskis just because i think they will at the very least do something very interesting whereas if another filmmaker came on tech Lab, are we just retreading similar ground are we doing anything new here i feel like they'll at least try to do something either like crazy from a story perspective or you know, try to just push the technological aspects of it further. Yeah. And, and that's the thing though. Like I wouldn't want a story by anyone else other than them, but we've come a lot further. I mean, like they were definitely that, that the, the, the one matrix shot, the groundbreaking bullet time mm-hmm. moment, you know, we've moved beyond that in some pretty serious ways. And I don't know. I just, I guess I don't know their technical skill now. So whatever they are working on, um, I don't know. Like, I just feel like, if Chad Selesky got offered this, if that's yeah. why he's talking about it, if David Leach is not busy, let's grab one of those two. Well, Michelle McLaren even like, and then like, let's, let's figure this out. I was just, we're ready to kind of, you know, move forward there. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, they haven't done the last thing they did, uh, feature wise was Jupiter ascending. Um, the last thing they did as a whole was Sense8, the TV series for Netflix. It's very good. Um, which I watched like one episode of. Wasn't, didn't hook me. Okay. And uh, did not check it out after that. But, um, I mean, again, I still think they have, you know, Jupiter Sending got some pretty terrible uh, reactions to it. Um, Never seen it. Semi-rightfully so, but I also don't think it's as bad as people said it was. Visually, the movie's off the charts. So uh, if they can kind of do the same thing here, uh, maybe, again, maybe they lay out, here's our plan for the story, and then have somebody else come in and help refine some things so it's not as sprawling and uh, unwieldy as some of the last several Matrix movies uh, became. Mm-hmm. Then uh, maybe we'll be off uh, on the right track here. So uh, it'll just be interesting. Again, if this is a prequel, which is not confirmed, um, but with the uh, Keanu sans that's happening right now, it's like a new Matrix movie w- without Keanu Reeves, uh, that could be a very tough sell for a lot of people. Yeah, how crazy would that be that Keanu Reeves has basically re-risen to the amount of fame that he's been at or was at mm-hmm. at, that, at that moment in time? 
probably further i would say now and then you're like eh, no thanks keanu hmm just trying to think what so at the end of the third movie mm-hmm. he becomes like all powerful all everything right no uh, he dies but doesn't he like ascend to something become something bigger that is not I've, how i've read the moment i haven't seen it in a long time he basically basically like i will destroy you and so he destroys agent smith like burns him out of the system uh-huh. and then his body is carried off into oblivion and i'm just trying to think if like there's any way to do like the Morpheus prequel thing, but also like days of future past it or something where like Neo Mm -hmm. goes to the past and meets a young Morpheus. And that's Michael B. Jordan. No, thank you. But you know, do it to their own. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see. I think that's a, and again, maybe since that pull prequel thing has not been confirmed, maybe that is not the route they're going to go, especially with the Keanu song. So like, no, we need Keanu. Like we've seen other franchises try to move on with, and like do reboots, prequels, whatever, without their main stars yeah. and suffer without them. Uh, maybe it's best to do a matrix movie with that name brand of matrix, but also then have, you know, the main guy from that franchise be back. Yeah. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. And again, if the movie does happen next year, production wise, then uh, it should not be too long before we get some official announcements on this. Um, But we're also getting another prequel with, again, probably definitely will not uh, feature any of the cast members from the previous franchise. uh, As it was announced this week that writer Suzanne Collins has written a brand new Hunger Games prequel novel. Uh, and that Lionsgate, the studio behind the first four Hunger Games movies, um, are already working with her to adapt them into a movie. The story details are slim, but it's based 64 years in the past, which is uh, basically the 10th Hunger Games. Uh, we don't know who it's revolving around or anything, uh, but we do know that the book itself is out May 2020, which probably means that the development on the movie uh, is already underway. Scripts are being written based around whatever, um, you know, draft she's already finished and that, you know, we could get this thing moving pretty quickly here from Lionsgate uh, once it comes out. So the question again, another prequel movie, is this a good move? Uh, I don't know. I mean, prequel prequel things are interesting um, in a lot of ways, at least especially films. Like one, you don't get any of your cast. You get your young cast, maybe, probably, possibly. Who knows? Rogue One, if you're, like, minutes before prequeling, you can do whatever <laughs> you want, I suppose. Um, but here, like, all I can think about is Fantastic New Beasts or Beasts in the Fantastic Harry Potter world. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Yes, them? thank you. That movie series that's out there as well, apparently. Um, I, I've seen them, of course. We've covered them. <laughs> you can check out our reviews on earlier episodes. That's all I can think about, weirdly enough. When like I read this, I'm like, oh, no. But Susan Collins is not J.K. Rowling. And I have read all of Susan Collins' books, and I like them a ton. Well, and the big difference between Fantastic Beasts and this movie is that this movie will actually be based on a novel, whereas oh, yeah. the Fantastic Movies are based around a book, yeah. but it's like a literary, encyclopedic here's a bunch of beasts that live in this world book. It's not a, mm-hmm. here's a story. The, hung, the the Hunger Games are every four years? Uh, I thought they're every year. They're every year. Okay, gotcha. 
So, so the tenth one. Yeah, it's every year because it's the seventy four in the first movie. And the next year is the quarter quell of seventy fifth. That's right. Um, and so then yeah, sixty four years before that, so we're at the tenth. Okay. Yeah. So I think there is some interest there. There's something interesting about like what, what were the OG Hunger Games like, but like the tenth one. That's interesting. I mean, that, like, why the tenth one? Yeah, that's a that's a really specific one. Like the first one, I think, is more compelling. Mm-hmm. Like, but uh, then again, I haven't read the book. I don't know what's going on. Maybe you need those. So, there's more Hunger Games coming. Are there's, you happy about that? More Hunger Games material? Yes, I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna devour that book I, as soon as Susan Collins puts it on the shelf. I know for a fact, and like I think I've spoken this on podcasts before. I've told mm-hmm. you before. I'm not that much of a reader. I probably should be. It'd probably be better for me. Um, <laughs> but I just don't read a lot, and. uh but I know I'm going to pre-order this book, which if I'm doing that, yeah. that's a big deal. And it's very, it's like I pre I pre-order books occasionally, like most of the time. And like this one was like, this was a no brainer. Like I'm not going to struggle over this. We're not going to be like, oh, maybe I can just wait and get it from the library or something like that. Right. This, this was a, I will own this and put this on my shelf. And right. It'll have a place. Right. This isn't a, like when the original books came out mm-hmm. or I guess when the movie started to come out. So wait. Were all three of the books out before the first movie? Yeah. yeah okay. Yes. So, like, when the first movie started to come out, I read, I borrowed the first book from a friend. Um, but then I went on, I was about to go on vacation, and I bought the second book to read on vacation, and I just blew through Catching Fire, and I had to buy the third book while I was on vacation. And yes. Finish that before <laughs> vacation was over. So, uh, it was, <laughs> you know, like, if I, I think it's like the only book series I own completely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the Hunger Games franchise, the movies I love, the books are incredible. So to go back to that world, I think is, uh, really it's something that I'm surprised it actually will take this long because the, the franchise itself made like, uh, what was the number? Like it made well, I mean, well over a billion dollars domestically. And I think I have the numbers around here somewhere. Uh, maybe I don't, but, uh, they, Either way, like the the franchise itself has made, I think, I think the number was five billion dollars worldwide. Wow! Which on four movies is great, and I think of the the top fifteen highest grossing franchises of all time, it was the only one that had not done more than five films. So like, it, it's it, it's inevitable that Lionsgate was going to redo this with or without Suzanne Collins, probably. Um, so now that like, she's doing this new material great um i can't wait to see what her pitch is i mean we also know it's a prequel in some ways um they like very loosely mentioned it's about penm which is you know the main nation now the the what used to be the united states of america um so i'm very interested to see what her you know kind of angle is now um i'd be very interested to see if instead of going and focusing on like the 12th district or 11th district people. Like what if we focus on be like from the capital yeah, from district one and like got like that high class early access, like what's their life like that? I'd be interested to see that and like how they're different. Um, even though I, I think in the, you know, the hunger games canon, the 10th hunger games winner comes from a like district 10 or 11 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, that's probably will be the main character unless you like you do like this major like kind of twist on the narrative be like the main characters from you know nation one or nation t- or mm-hmm. capital uh right. capital yeah like, from district two and then they die <laughs> like wait what and the movie ends and it's actually a grisly telling of right. how unfair and dark the world is like maybe that's what they do but uh i think that'd be interesting if we like get more of an inside look on like or a political them, thriller the game maybe? makers yeah. like yeah. see a lot more about like the capital like the Again, all the the political aspects of the games. Like, I think that's probably 
where she could go um, and make for a continuation of the franchise that also would probably, hopefully, build upon what came before. Yeah, and perhaps like the 10 is like a nice round number, mm-hmm. you know, too. And maybe it's like, okay, this is the last Hunger Games. We won't do them anymore. And then there's someone inside fighting for it. That would be cool. I mean, like there's uh, there's a lot to explore. And weirdly, like, I, mean, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm just cynical about the whole thing because it's like, oh yeah, Susan Collins book, and the, oh yeah, we're immediately writing a movie for this. And it's like, oh, oh, that's distasteful a little bit. I mean, I don't know, but I am I'm stoked for the book. And yeah. And I guess as soon as I get the book, I'll be stoked for the movie. <laughs> it's just like I'm just rolling my eyes a little bit. Right. No, all. I get that. I think the I'm just looking something up real quick. I think. As we were talking about, like, okay, like, can you get, because uh, you can't get Katniss Everdeen in here, obviously. You can't get Gabe. You can't no. get PETA there. Right. Well before you, even being children at this you, point. You could get a very young King President Snow. That's, I what, I was, that's what I was looking up. Like, uh, according to the Hunger Games fandom wiki page, uh, he was born two years prior to the initiation of the Hunger Games. Uh, and so it's like he obviously didn't invent that, but he would be roughly a teenager mm-hmm. when the 10th Hunger Games be going on. Yeah. So like, I won't be surprised if one of the main characters is like daddy snow <laughs> and, right. and like, we're learning about him. And then like, you know, a young, uh, snow pops up mm-hmm. and like, we're learning about him and like how he becomes this hardened, like, you know, dictator ruler. Yeah. Like that'd be interesting and help. It could like help reframe some things that happen later on. Um, and like the main Katniss Everdeen story. So, I think those are probably the connections, if we're getting them, that will come. And uh, hopefully, again, I mean, the movie comes out, in, the book comes out in a year. Well, I mean, Griffith Naismith from District 2 is the winner of the 10th Hunger Games. Oh, so I was wrong. He is from an older district. Yeah, or the, you know, one of the higher ones. Right. The more socio Yeah, the more higher, privileged. Yes, exactly. Their socioeconomic status is a lot bigger. So maybe Griffin Naismith guts Little Snow's bigger brother. And they're like, no, <laughs> and then that turns him that into turns a monster. Him. Maybe, but that would confirm then my my hope that like we'll probably focus on like the capital and Panem and like the higher class districts instead of going back to like you know oh what what's District Twelve and District Eleven up to like I thought for a moment maybe they would actually show like again like the war or I always thought you know Haymitch's game would be prime for uh, uh, an adaptation um, or even like showing earlier stuff of like District 13, their collapse, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. um, again, this is just the beginning as far as we know. <laughs> Who knows where this could go? They were very popular for their brutality. The game head game maker that year was Lucas Castor. Huh. I, I have read how, what, what was the guy's name? Griffin? Mm-hmm. Uh, how he won the games. It is crazy brutal. Uh, like he apparently gets shot in the eye with an arrow, pulls it out, and then stabs the person who shot the arrow to death with that same arrow. I'm like, that is wild. And no way is what's going to happen in the movie. He was later nicknamed the Beast. Yeah. His he likes for winning were five to one. And he likes axes and like, like just br- like, again, like brutal stuff. Um, so maybe they'll go like a little more darker, more mature, uh, uh, like a, just grittier he approach. Had, he had an arrow to the eye by the District 1 female. However, instead of dying, ripped the arrow out and still in his eye, stabbed her with it until she died. Yeah. Like that is... I don't remember reading that. No, I don't I don't think it's in the books. It's more of like a... It's in the... Uh, the appendices. Or right, or the, something. Susan Collins blog about this the way... I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to jump into that. But like there's... 
a semi-history out there. I will say, though, it is in a mountain, lake, and forest arena, so the setting will be beautiful against this backdrop. Maybe we get a very, like, um, you know, very masterfully artly done Hunger Games movie. And we get some beautiful mountain settings shot on film, and then it's just like, whoa, they force awakened the Hunger Games. (laughs) Who knew? I doubt it, but hey. No, I mean, I'm just suddenly excited again. All right, good. take back all I said. Take Bring on the, the new Hunger Games. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the, the the question here. I mean, Francis Lawrence does he return as the director? I, uh, maybe not. I'd, pr- I'd probably say not. Yeah, like get somebody else, like give an, somebody else a platform to become this big thing. So um, maybe get Gary Ross back. I don't know. Uh, either way, uh, I think there's there's plenty of talent out there, obviously, and so. Uh, I'm just very interested to see what they do with this now. Michelle McLaren. Of course. <laughs> the pitch for everything. Uh, but let's move on to the last story of the main three. As uh, that hashtag show report this week that Ludi Lin and Ross Butler are in consideration for the lead role of Shang-Chi. Um, and they also said that Donnie Yen is someone that Marvel Studios would like to get involved, possibly as Shang-Chi's father slash the supposed villain character. So... This is uh, some talent right here. I'm a big fan of Ludi Lin from his uh, his role in Power Rangers. He, I thought he was really good in. And then he's uh, really good in the new season of Black Mirror as well. And he is a trained martial artist. He is could very convincingly pull off this master of Kung Fu angle. And if, you know, if Donnie Yen comes in and plays like the old wise chief slash mm-hmm. father slash villain, uh, that sounds great. And like I can already visualize like the hopefully incredibly staged – incredibly choreographed, incredibly shot one take fights uh, between them uh, because that would be epic. And unlike something we've seen in the Marvel movie before. Um, and I mean, I think both of these guys um, or all three of these people mentioned, including Ross Butler are so far just early contenders. They haven't actually met. They haven't been offered anything, um, but Ludi Lin's already expressed interest in the role in the past. Uh, he seems like a perfect fit. And uh, I think that this, if it's him and Donnie Yen spearheading Shang-Chi, plus mm-hmm. you fill it out with a bunch of other different people, uh, with Destin Daniel Cretton directing it, I mean, that is a, a incredibly exciting Phase 4 MCU movie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, he's, he's... I'm not familiar with anything outside of Power Rangers with him, um, but he's the bad boy in that movie yeah. in a lot of ways. And, like, it's a little bit weird. Even yeah. it, like, it totally works. Um, like, like, if I would have been turned off by the character, I, I wasn't. And so, yeah, bring it on. He's got the jawline to be a Marvel superhero too, so that passes, you know, the test. Right. I mean, so and like his his Black Mirror episode, he's like basically shirtless the whole time, <laughs> okay. and like he is he's he, built he, for he it. is ripped. He is ready to go. He is trained. Um, I think it would really he could be a really great choice. It's one of the reasons why when I did a list for screener back in twenty in December twenty eighteen, I had him mentioned as a as somebody who Marvel should look at, and Ross Butler called them both. Um, you know, outside like Stephen Young and Louis Tan, mm-hmm. uh, Ki Hong Lee from the Maze Runner movies. Uh, it's somebody else in there too. I don't remember who it was, but um, you know, I think that if Ludilin's the guy for Marvel, then uh, this could be again something very special from yeah. a action standpoint. Yeah, bring it on, Donnie Yen too. Oh man, yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely, he, he, he is like that, that's like, like that is a no brainer. I mean, he's already got the Disney connections through Rogue One. He's Mm -hmm. in Mulan next year as well. So, like, he's just continuing to work with them. And Disney and Marvel love to reuse people that they've already, you know, worked with in the past. So, uh, I could see not only Donnie Yen, but a lot of other people from Mulan probably, you know, fit in here in Shang-Chi in some form. So, uh, this 
if it all goes through again, this is all very early. This could change. Uh, you know, Ludi's schedule could not work out, but I could. I don't see him being like, "Oh, I can't do it." Yeah, you I make have this that indie work. <laughs> upcoming. It's like, yeah, um, you drop out and you right. go take fifty Where million be like, dollars. Right. I'm like, Marvel. oh, hey, like, let me. Can we push this a couple of months? I'm gonna go be a giant star in a Marvel movie, and then when I do this indie project a couple months later, mm-hmm. uh, it'll probably be a little bit, a yes, little bit bigger, much more on the map. Yeah. So. Again, we're just hoping at this point that it uh, it comes through that way. Um, but I think that's all we have really to say about Shang Chi. There's not a lot to go on there, but more than just like okay, Ludi Lin's a great choice, Donnie Yen's a great choice, and if it shapes up that way, great. Um, so we'll move on to take or skip it. Except there's like no new trailers out this week. Nope. There was one for Trolls Two that I saw in front of Toy Story Four. You know, this is kind of Anna Kendrick, fine, whatever. But we're going to skip, take it or skip it all together. Uh, just skip the whole section, move on to the flyby to wrap up this episode. Um, and sticking with Pixar, they announced a brand new movie this week that is coming out on June 19th, 2020, called Soul. The film, directed by Pete Docter, the director of Inside Out and Up, uh, is uh, directing the movie. And uh, the movie is described as, quote, a journey from the streets of New York City to the cosmic realms to discover the answers to life's most difficult questions. End quote. Wow. That's going to be good. When you had the director of Up on there, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Let's go. And then they like just hammer it down with Inside Out. And they're like, oh, snap. The same creative team is now having, you know, bringing yes. soul to life. The, the guys, the people who tackled emotions yes. are now tackling what it like means to be alive, probably. I guess, yes. But that that's the part where it's like, Oh boy, here we go. And then they just titled the movie Soul and you're like, oh, what's this going to be about? I have so many questions um, that, you know, that synopsis is just so big and so broad. And, uh, bring it on. And then it's a new Pixar property. That's what I'm excited for too. Yeah, I mean, uh, next year we got Onward in uh, mm-hmm. early year and then now Soul in the summer. So uh, next year shaping up to be pretty good for, hopefully, really good for Pixar. I mean, honestly, if Pete Doctor's behind the movie, uh, there's like no chance that it's bad. Right, exactly. <laughs> like the dude is incredibly talented and like again, riffing off of Inside Out with like a maybe a spiritual sequel uh through Soul. Uh yes, sign me up one hundred percent. And with a, a cosmic slash grounded reality journey, like mm-hmm. oh man, like this sounds incredible. So uh we also I uh, got word this week from Kevin Feige uh, as he told Screen Rant that Avengers Endgame is going back to theaters, even though it's already in theaters, but it's getting new material in theaters starting this coming weekend as there will be, quote, a deleted scene, a little tribute, and a few surprises, end quote, added to the end of the movie after the credits. Will this and these added features get you back in the theater to see Endgame again? Uh, no, probably not. Will this added material help it? Pete Avatar. That's hard to say. I, I, I think it would benefit from a Spider-Man bounce, probably after people have seen Far, Far from, from Home. Home. Yes, but I don't think this new material is going <sighs> to get them back into the theater because tickets are still ten bucks a month. It'll get the AMC stubs members, of which I am one, um, to go see it. I probably won't, but I like imagine that's the audience it's probably yeah. for. Because if not, you you already know the release date for Avengers End, Avengers Endgame, the end of July, right? Uh, of I think August. it's end of July digital. Yes. Middle of August hard. You know when it's coming, and you can kind of wait for that. 
Yeah, that, that's true. And I think. So I don't know. I, I I'm definitely gonna go see it again just because you know it's part of my job basically. Right. Um, so yeah. like, I'll go see it to see what it is. I mean, a deleted scene, fine, whatever. Um, it's not gonna be that major because the Russo said that they did they only cut a couple minutes of footage anyway. So it's not like we're getting. Uh, oh, here's the X Men reference they cut. Like, mm-hmm. no, we're gonna get like. <laughs> a side gag or something like some random Ant-Man scene they cut. And that's what we're going to get. Um, the little tribute, that's going to be the Stanley tribute. Um, so that'll be really great to see on the big screen. But again, it's probably not something that otherwise would like drag me out to go see this again. Yeah. Um, but the end of this quote, a few surprises is what gets me most intrigued. Mm-hmm. It could just be foggy doing his usual teasing. Um, I don't think we're going to get like a Black Widow trailer because yeah. like they're just started filming a couple weeks ago. So they're not ready to do that or anything. But like, could we get, I could see them doing like, and here's the first five minutes of Far From Home. Or here's a five minute clip from Far From Home that nobody else has seen. Yeah. To get you hyped to go see Far From Home a couple of days later when it hits theaters. Like an additional Peter is in grief scene or something right. like that. That like, or like maybe him like, putting his thing in the closet and like, no, thank you yeah. or whatever. That's, that's what I think a, a, the surprise will be. I don't think it's just going to be like a, Oh, and here's some other featurette thing. that's going to be on the Blu-ray. It'll like, if you're going to like do this purposefully, like you have to give something. And if you do do something like, like that, be like you can go see the first seven minutes of far from home. That'll get people more excited and just be like, Oh, here's a deleted scene and a tribute. Like, right. I can wait to see all that stuff on the blu-ray or when it all comes up in promotion of the blu-ray in a couple of weeks yeah like here's like this is this is the thing that they're the, the, if this is truly just a gambit to get them get you get them past avatar which maybe probably i think is i think it's, I think it's definitely part of the okay. reason I, I don't think people are gonna say let me go see a movie i've already seen for me to see seven minutes of a movie if if that's the case i don't right. we don't know at we all. don't know but if that turns out to be the case I don't think anyone's going to be like, well, why would I spend seven minutes to see movie? Spend 10 bucks to see a movie I've already seen when I can go pay 10 bucks to go see that seven minutes a part of a movie that I really need to see, you know? So. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's a little unclear if like this is like a full thing like from now on to the rest from now or from this coming weekend till the end of Endgame's theatrical run. Mm-hmm. If this is part of it or if this is like a very limited, like it happens this weekend and this weekend alone. So like if you want to see the stuff in theater, you have to literally go in a three day span yeah. or it's gone. And it's like, if that's the case, then like that will drive up interest a lot more. Just be like, Oh, like I can go see it now or I can go see it a month from now. Mm-hmm. Right. When it's about to leave theaters. Like it gives you some sort of sense of in- urgency. And, uh, I think one way or another, this movie's going to pass Avatar at this point. So, uh, fine, whatever. Uh, THR also reported this week that Barry star Anthony Kerrigan will be the villain of Bill and Ted 3. This is great news, as I've mentioned on the podcast before. Yes. I've recently caught up on Barry. Noho Hank is my favorite character, probably. Um, so to see Kerrigan get this breakout potential role here uh, is incredible. Yeah, he he will be the perfect messenger for whatever malevolent force is descending upon them. That's right. for sure. And he's just like such a perfect fit for that franchise. Yeah, it, it was Taylor built for him. And I can't wait for Bill Hader's random cameo as well. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. He will voice something. For sure. Um, we also got a report from NBA reporter Shams Charania uh, this week that Space Jam 2 finally has 
it looks like most of its cast in place as NBA stars Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis, Clay Thompson, and Chris Paul are all expected to have roles, as well as WN player, WNBA players Diana Taurasi, Nanika Agwamuki, and Chini Agwamuki. So, uh, great. We talked before about how studios may be holding all this up. It looks mm-hmm. like all those things were resolved in some cases. So, uh, all right. I'm interested to see now how big of a role these people have. Yeah, for sure. And they're like, I don't know if it'll be like LeBron assembles a team and flies to outer space and or whatever the case is, but this Ryan Coogler produced Space Jam 2. Bring it on. Yeah. Um, we also got a report from Deadline this week that the Red Sonja movie is back on track after the firing of Bar- uh, Brian Singer, um, as Jill Soloway has been hired to write and direct the movie now for Millennium Film. So this is uh, obviously great news because uh, it's not Brian Singer. So <laughs> yes. uh, that's really, I don't, I'm not Woo-hoo. familiar with Soloway's work at all, um, but she's not Brian Singer. So this is a step in the right direction for this movie to be made. And like, it was just a no brainer. I mean, like, I mean, just in terms of like, if you're trying to roll out the carpet for, you know, Red Sonia or like get the, get the movie going, you know, just yeah like a brian singer like it was even after everything you know they still hold on but thankfully not anymore um and lastly here to wrap up this episode collider report this week that blumhouse's sequel to 2018's halloween is gearing up jamie lee curtis andy matichek and judy greer are are all expected to return to star as well as director david gordon green is expected to be involved as well the movie is targeting an october 2020 release date and will uh, reportedly start production at some point this year. So Halloween 2, we're moving forward. Uh, are you excited to go back to this world? Potentially, ha- Halloween was so good that I'm okay with a sequel. Like, I don't hate it outright. It's going to be confusing if they call it Halloween 2. For sure. Because <laughs> we already have a Halloween 2, We right? already had Halloween. <laughs> is it Halloween II? Uh, or is I it Halloween 2? Because think- if they use the numeral 2 then you're, that's you're the, all that's set. The, that's, that's all you need. That's the differentiation. If not, it's just funny. But yeah, bring it on. Um, Jimmy Lee Curtis kicked so much butt in that last film, and it was it was just so quiet and calm. It got off the rails a little bit with like just like why he's escaped and all that jazz. But you know what? It was terrific, and I'm ready to see another one. Yeah. Uh, it, the original Halloween sequel was Halloween numeral two. So you can do... Th- like Roman numeral Roman two? numeral two, yes. Yes. So, so we just slap the two there. We're gold. Exactly. It's all you need. Um, but I'm just more interested at this point. Like none of this is really surprising that, A, it's happening, that all these people are returning uh, because it was successful, but more just like, what's the story? Um, I think when we talked about where it could go, I was like, well, maybe, you know, Annie Matichek becomes like the killer because like she is holding that knife at the end. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a trauma thing. Maybe she could go crazy. That's where I'd be interested because like otherwise, what, you're just going to put Laurie Strode back in harm's way back up against the shape like we've seen that right you just did that yeah and now yeah he's sure he's out there potentially i guess but like i don't know i feel like we've done this already like where else we, are we going yeah we've done this already so, so uh but again it's blumhouse it's david Gordon green um i have faith in those people that they won't just redo this again just for the sake of money like yeah. i think there's something here that needs to be uh revisited um so i'm holding off on completely uh you know be like, nah, I'm not interested um, until we learn more. Uh, but that is all we have for the news this week. Next week, we'll be back with, I believe, a review of Yesterday, the forgotten Beatles movie by Danny Boyle. So We've forgotten it? 
No, like like that's like the that's what the movie's based around. Oh, like, the world has the world has forgotten that the Beatles exist. Yes, I thought you meant like we forgot about because I'm like, dude, I haven't forgot about it. I've been lambasted with commercials <laughs> and advertising, you know, all the way to my drive here. So, but yeah, bring it on. Yeah, I uh, can't wait. Uh, got Lily Collins or Lily James uh, involved, so I uh, can't wait to see it. Uh, we'll also be back this week with a big question tackling uh, Marvel Studios and their presence at San Diego Comic Con. What will they reveal? What should they reveal? What do we want? We'll discuss all that in the big question this week on Wednesday. And that's all we have, though for this week so be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered here by Tris for the film and you can follow me personally on twitter at movie cooper and you can get at me josh it's just joshua ryan and if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe share retweet and more plus head over to itunes give us a five-star view with comments tell us why you enjoyed the show thanks again for tuning to the friend Cell podcast josh somebody's poison the waterhole and be sure to turn next week for our future episodes